Good Tuesday morning. Breaking news, a Dahlia now a hurricane. And millions across the South scrambling to get ready. It's August 29th. This is today. Here it comes, Adalia strengthening as it barrels toward Florida's Gulf Coast, expected to hit as a major hurricane. A state of emergency declared. Evacuations underway. Run from the water, hide from the wind. And this morning, Tampa's airport now closed. We're live in the storm zone, and Al is tracking it all. Campus shooting. A faculty member gunned down at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. The school locked down for hours. We all just stayed hiding in the stalls, squatting on the toilets, just scared. We didn't know what was happening. The apparent gunman taken into custody on live TV. They're leading the person around the vehicle in handcuffs. Just ahead, new details on the suspect and the search for a motive. Court and the campaign. Donald Trump's federal trial on election interference now set for March of next year, just one day before Super Tuesday. His reaction and the potential impact on the 2024 race. Frightening crash. A helicopter in Florida spinning out of control before slamming into an apartment building. Two people killed, including a woman on the ground, inside the efforts to uncover what went wrong. All that plus criminal case. The new investigation just launched into that unwanted kiss at the Women's World Cup. Calls growing for the head of Spanish soccer to resign. We'll have the very latest. And comeback kid. American teen Coco Golf storms back to win her first match at the U.S. Open. Kicking off the tournament's opening night in star-studded fashion. Today, Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Good morning and welcome to today. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning. Savannah and Hoda are off. Good morning to you, Peter. The good news is Al Roker is here. He's helping us keep a close eye on this storm. Adalia was intensifying while most of us were sleeping overnight. This is a serious storm. It is our top story, Adalia, this morning. The storm upgraded to a hurricane overnight, gaining strength near Cuba as it heads toward the U.S. So here is a look at the timeline and the current path. This could become a powerful Category 3 before making landfall in Florida, likely tomorrow morning. Hurricane watches are now in effect along the Gulf Coast. And in some areas, evacuation orders have now been issued. We have it all covered this morning, starting with NBC's Priscilla Thompson on the ground in Cedar Key, Florida, where Adalia could make landfall. Priscilla, good morning. Chanel, good morning. This is what the waterfront here in Cedar Key looks like. It is boarded up windows up and down this street. As residents here remain under a mandatory evacuation, many of them up early today, finishing those storm preps ahead of today's 4 p.m. deadline to get out. A life-threatening storm barreling towards Florida's Gulf Coast. As residents brace for impact, this morning, Adalia is now a major hurricane. How bad do you think the storm is going to be? It looks like he's going to be a big one. (laughs) Even some of our old locals are pretty concerned at this point. Adalia expected to produce dangerous winds of up to 115 miles per hour, ushering in a potentially deadly 12-foot storm surge. We now have 5,500 National Guardsmen activated and available. There are tens of thousands of linemen that will be staged 
The goal is to get the, the power restored as quickly as possible. Florida residents and the Coast Guard urgently preparing for the impending hurricane. Boarding up homes and businesses, stocking up on supplies, and filling sandbags to protect against storm surge. Some Florida communities still recovering after being battered by Hurricane Ian less than a year ago. I've got one window that has a small leak. I am, believe it or not, duct taping that. Just trying to get ready for this one. And Chanel, the governor of Florida has declared a state of emergency in 46 of the state's 67 counties, including this one already. FEMA is on the ground pre-positioned. Dozens of school districts have closed across the western part of the state as the governor and officials here are really urging people that now is the time to act. Chanel? We're holding our breath. All right, Priscilla, thank you. Not that far removed from Hurricane uh, Ian just a year ago. Al Roker keeping a close eye on this for now. A dollar path, the timing. What is this looking like? This is a big storm. Al. It really is. And the interesting thing, guys, is this: the, the eye storms are usually the worst storms. Those are the ones that the names are usually retired. So, uh, unfortunately, Idalia uh, may also look like that. 75 mile per hour winds. Right now, 13 million people under hurricane warnings, save from just uh, a wipe from Tallahassee all the way down to Sarasota. Hurricane watches in the center of the state. We've also got tropical storm warnings as well. As Idalia makes its way up, we look for landfall possibly tomorrow morning as a Category 3 storm. Now, this is that cone of uncertainty, but don't necessarily pay attention to that because it's a large impact zone. This tropical storm, these tropical storm conditions could extend more than 300 miles along the Florida coastline. The good news is this is going to be a fast mover. Once it makes landfall, it's going to rock it out, but its impacts are going to be over a wide area. Area. The biggest thing we worry about, storm surge, that wall of water. These could be historic storm surge uh, conditions, 8 to 12 feet from Stanhachi all the way down to Cedar Key and a little further to the south. Dangerous winds and waves. And as the system exits, we've got storm surges on the backside of it from Charleston all the way down to Palm Coast, Florida. And a big impact. We don't talk about this a lot, but tornado risk through tomorrow from Sarasota all the way to Wilmington, North Carolina, and flooding rains. We're talking upwards of 12 inches of rain in the Florida Big Bend, but significant flooding all the way up into the Carolinas, guys. All right, keep us updated. Thank you, Al. Meantime, classes are canceled at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill today in the wake of a fatal shooting that has rocked the campus and the surrounding community. A faculty member gunned down in a science building, leading to an hours-long lockdown before a suspect was taken into custody. NBC's Ali Vitale joins us with the very latest on this one. Ali, good morning. Good morning, Chanel. Less than 24 hours ago, this campus was on total lockdown. A scary start to the semester here. Just one week after classes began at UNC Chapel Hill. on campus. A tragedy that's become all too familiar at schools nationwide. Has a nine millimeter possible Asian male. I'm grieved to report that one of our faculty members um, was killed in this shooting. This loss is devastating. After the initial call for shots fired, the entire campus went on lockdown. A school alert warning an armed, dangerous person on or near campus. Go inside now. Avoid windows. Heavily armed officers swarmed the campus. Some students walking down the street with their hands up. 
some sheltering in place. So immediately we all just stayed hiding in the stalls, squatting on the toilets, just scared. We didn't know what was happening. Other terrified students fleeing through a first floor window, backpacks dangling. An elementary school across the road also placed on lockdown. Then, less than 90 minutes after the terrifying ordeal began, I think that's him. A suspect was taken into police custody, captured live by our NBC News Raleigh affiliate WRAL. To actually have the suspect in custody, it gives us an opportunity to figure out the, the why uh, and, and even the how. And four hours after the chaos began, police giving the all clear. But students left deeply shaken. Honestly, it makes me feel a little bit sick because uh, this is a situation that we really shouldn't even have to be worrying about. And those who knew the suspect, stunned. Because I would have never guessed that he would be the kind of person who could possibly be capable of this kind of thing. The UNC community waking up to a string of questions this morning, but the county sheriff's office answering a critical one, naming the shooter as Tai Lei Chi, charging him with first-degree murder. Back to you. All right, Allie, thank you. Now to the legal troubles facing Donald Trump and the impact on the presidential race. The former president's federal trial over alleged illegal efforts to overturn the 2020 results is now set to begin on March 4th of next year. That's just one day before Super Tuesday. NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett, is here with the details. Laura, good morning. Peter, good morning to you. The former president now faces four criminal trials in four different places as he heads into a busy presidential campaign season next year. But at least one federal judge is making it clear she plans to treat him just like anyone else. As the Republican primary heats up next spring, so might a criminal trial about the last presidential election. A judge in Washington, D.C., penciling in March of 2024 for federal prosecutors to begin their case against Donald Trump for trying to overturn the 2020 election. Judge Tanya Chutkin rejected the former president's bid to delay the trial until after next year's election, emphasizing the public's interest in seeing this case resolved in a timely manner. The trial date could slide, but not because Mr. Trump is going to prevail on appeal. The Republican frontrunner's political calendar now on a collision course with his trials, and his rivals are pouncing. You don't go with someone who's going to be in a courtroom longer than they're going to be campaigning. That March 4th date in Washington, the same day Georgia prosecutors have asked for their state trial to start on election interference. And it's the day before Super Tuesday, when more than a dozen states hold their Republican primaries. It's also just three weeks shy of Mr. Trump's trial in New York, where he stands accused of falsifying business records to cover up an alleged affair before the 2016 election. Two months after that, another trial set for his alleged mishandling of classified documents in Florida. Mr. Trump has denied all wrongdoing in each case, continuing to attack the prosecutors online, while in a courtroom in Georgia, his former chief of staff took to the witness stand for nearly five hours. Mark Meadows defending his own actions from around the last election as he tries to move his Fulton County racketeering case over to federal court. They want to put him on the stand for a limited purpose which is for him to claim that he was acting in the scope of his official duties. But that effort was undercut by another Republican at the heart of that case. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who testified that infamous call he fielded for Mr. Trump, asking for him to find votes in Georgia, was only about helping the Trump campaign. Now that judge in Georgia says he will rule promptly. But in the meantime, all 19 defendants, including Mr. Trump, are set for arraignment on those state charges 
on September 6th, guys. So then, Laura, is there anything Trump's team can do to move the trial date or is it expected to stick? They are going to trial wheel all of their might to make sure that that March date doesn't stick. And what their basic strategy here is going to be motions, 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 tons of paper. They've already signaled they're going to try to file a motion to dismiss, saying that this was a wrongful prosecution, saying he should be immune from prosecution, trying to change the venue to get it moved out of D.C. So expect to see a lot of motions and each of those can then be appealed over and over again. So let's talk about the former president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, taking the stand yesterday. This was a risky move. Most legal experts said this is not going to happen. So what is the strategy? Why was it so important for him to take the stand on it's his own a behalf? Ris- it's a risky move, Peter, because anything he says on that stand can then be used. Remember, it's the district attorney's office who's questioning him on that stand. So she can use any of that stuff in her case in chief. But it seems like his strategy is if he loses here in front of this judge, he can then appeal it. And then he can appeal it even all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. So we'll see how this plays out there in Georgia. Yeah, no doubt. Laura Jarrett, nice to see you. Thanks yeah. so much. Sure, guys. All right. Turning now to new details. Details on what led up to that massacre in Jacksonville, Florida, that police say was racially motivated. Newly released surveillance videos showing what the gunman was doing before he opened fire. And the campus security officer who confronted the shooter is now speaking out for the first time. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez spoke with him. Gabe, good morning. Hi, Chanel. Good morning. That officer is now being hailed as a hero, although while federal and local investigators say that this attack was racially motivated, the sheriff here says that he believes that this store may have been targeted because the gunman used to work at a similar one. This morning, newly released surveillance video is revealing more of the chilling moments leading up to what authorities say was a racist rampage at a Dollar General store in Jacksonville. The sheriff here says the images show the gunman entering a different discount store down the road and leaving after making a purchase. He then stops at Edward Waters University, a historically black college, and puts on a tactical vest and mask as students alert campus security officer Antonio Bailey. To me, the students are the heroes. The shooter, 21-year-old Ryan Christopher Palmetter, quickly drives away when Lieutenant Bailey approaches his vehicle. Did you ever, in your mind, ever consider not confronting this suspect. No, I did not. This is what we signed up for. The university's president says Bailey saved lives on campus. You, sir, are nothing short of a hero, and we honor you today. Minutes later, the gunman ends up at Dollar General, where he opens fire in the parking lot, killing Angela Carr. Damn, this is so, this is unreal. This is so unreal. Oh, God. Carr's daughter, Ashley, says her mother was an Uber driver dropping off a passenger. She leaves behind three children and 16 grandchildren. She's incredible. I I can't put it any other way. Gerald Deshaun Gallion and 19-year-old A.J. Legere Jr. were murdered inside the store. A.J.'s two brothers, Quan and Josh. I never thought I had to bury my little brother, man. We were expecting him to bury us before we had to bury him. The sheriff says the gunman took his own life when law enforcement entered the store and that he had legally purchased a handgun and AR-15 style rifle he used, which was painted with swastikas. Still, despite the actions of the campus security guard, the sheriff again does not believe that the university was the initial target, partly because the gunman used to work at another discount store. Mm. Chanel. All right, Gabe, thank you. 
All right, we want to check in again with Al if we can. He's got today's full forecast right now. Uh, Al, you know, we're talking about the tropics. There's a lot out there. Yeah, you know, and if we, we haven't really even talked about Franklin right now. There's a monster. It's a Category 4 storm, 140-mile-per-hour winds moving northeast at 9. Good news is it's not going to make any landfalls, but because it's so powerful, we're probably looking at high-surf rip current threats from Charleston all the way up to New England as we move into the next 48 hours. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, thank you, Al. Coming up, new details on a terrifying and fatal helicopter crash caught on camera in Florida. Tom Costello was following that story for us. Tom? Yeah, good morning. The NTSB and the FAA looking into this crash, responding to a medical emergency, a traffic accident when this EMS chopper suddenly went down, crashing onto an apartment building. We'll have the details on that coming up, guys. That headline plus growing fallout over an unwanted kiss, the one that shocked the world after the Women's World Cup final. A criminal investigation launched overnight. We're going to have the very latest in a live report. But first, this is Today on NBC. Back at 7.30 with that unforgettable duel in Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Now, 24 years later, Liam Neeson is revealing something about those lightsaber fights we've never heard before. We'll get to that on Popstar. Oh. Meantime, Jacob is joining us this morning. And for Craig, good morning to you. What's up? Good morning. I got all the deets. Can't tell you until Popstar. All right. Wow. I was going to say it's next. We're going to find out that Princess Leia's hair is not Cinnabon. No. Like oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're not? Today. There you go. Unbelievable. Coming up shortly. We do have a busy half an hour. We want to start with some serious news here. A horrific helicopter crash caught on camera in South Florida. A rescue chopper went down yesterday during the morning rush hour, crashing into an apartment building, killing a fire department captain and a resident on the ground. NBC's Tom Costello covers aviation for us. Tom, good morning. Yeah, good morning. So the video should help investigators determine what went wrong. Two people were killed, four injured, including two people on the ground, all in fair condition. The first sign of trouble came with smoke coming out of that chopper in flight as it responded to a morning traffic accident with serious injuries. 8.45 a.m. in Metro Fort Lauderdale. Residents looked up to see a Broward County Sheriff Fire Department helicopter trailing thick black smoke. Just 650 feet in the air, the boom and tail rotor began buckling as the chopper started spinning out of control, then nosedived into an apartment building below. Killed in the crash, an older female resident of the apartment building and fire captain paramedic Terrison Jackson, who was on board the chopper, a 19-year veteran remembered for being thoroughly committed to his job. Terrison was a rock star. He was one of the best of us. The rescue chopper had just lifted off, headed for a traffic accident with life-threatening injuries. But within minutes, pilot Darren Roche radioed he was in trouble. We're having a... Mechanical issues while we're headed back to our station. A fire broke out on board. Uh, they did their very best, from my understanding now, to try to extinguish that fire. Seconds later, the horrific crash. The pilot and another paramedic were injured in the crash, as were two people on the ground, all taken to an area hospital. The chopper involved is a dual-engine Airbus Eurocopter 135, like this one, used by police and rescue services worldwide. Whatever went wrong, say experts, it was very quick and catastrophic. It's no longer flying. Um, the rotor is keeping it somewhat in, in the air, but it can't stay there. 
So it's not under control. It is spinning. This morning, the Broward County Fire and Sheriff's Departments are mourning one of their own. Captain Jackson Terrison typified what it meant to be a brother firefighter. He perished doing what he loved. So, Tom, what are investigators going to be looking at as they try to figure out what caused this? Yeah, a few things. NTSB and FAA investigators, they'll be looking at the chopper's safety and maintenance records. Was there any recent trouble? Did any pilot report a problem recently? And exactly how and where did that onboard fire break out? You know, guys, the sheriff points out that their heroism is something to look at here. They were dealing with this onboard emergency, and yet they took the time to radio the firefighters at that traffic accident with serious injuries that they would not be able to respond and that they on the scene need to go ahead and cope with that oh mother and goodness. child who were seriously injured. My goodness, our hearts go out to all of the families involved with that one. All right, Tom, thank you. Also this morning, fallout is growing over that unwanted kiss after the final match of the Women's World Cup. The man behind it. You see him there. The president of Spain Soccer Federation has now been suspended. And this morning, he is facing new calls to resign. NBC's Kelly Cobiea has the very latest here. Kelly, good morning. Peter, good morning to you. Yeah, the head of Spanish soccer is under increasing pressure to resign this morning after a key meeting overnight did not go his way. And he now faces possible prosecution for kissing a star player on the lips. Overnight, Spanish prosecutors opened a criminal investigation into whether this kiss was an act of sexual assault. Spanish Soccer Federation President Luis Rubiales grabbed midfielder Jenny Hermoso's head, kissing her on the mouth after the team's World Cup win last week. FIFA has suspended Rubiales for 90 days pending its own investigation. And overnight, the Spanish Soccer Federation withdrew its support of Rubiales after a marathon emergency meeting, saying he should immediately present his resignation because of the latest events and the unacceptable behaviors that have seriously damaged the image of Spanish football. The incident at the award ceremony causing outrage. In locker room celebrations afterward, Hermoso can be heard saying, I didn't like it. Rubiales apologized the next day, but later in the week claimed, Hermoso lifted me off my feet, held my hips, my legs. We hugged, he said, accusing critics of false feminism and social assassination. His family rushing to his support. His cousin says, we don't think what's happening is fair, adding his mother has locked herself in a church and gone on a hunger strike. Hermoso said she was pressured to say at first that the kiss was a natural expression of affection and gratitude but now says, at no time did I consent to the kiss that he gave me. The incident sparking protests in Spain and signs of support across the sports world. Crowds cheered Hermoso at a game over the weekend with teams holding banners and U.S. players wearing wristbands saying, we're with you. Spain's sports minister calling this the Me Too moment of Spanish football. And Spanish men's teams and coaches have also backed Hermoso and her teammates. All 23 members of that World Cup winning team are now refusing to play unless Rubiales steps down. And this morning, the sports minister said it's over. No more discrimination for women. Peter.
Kelly, thank you so much. A couple weeks removed from the World Cup, and this thing just keeps developing. Yeah, it keeps going, doesn't it? All right, coming up, a parenting expert will join us, making the case for why you should let your kids make mistakes. How she says you can turn common failures into character-building moments that last a lifetime. But guys, first, Kaylee Hartung joins us with an up-close look at a new effort to protect grizzly bears. Hey, Kaylee. Hey, guys. Humans have long had a fascination and sometimes healthy fear of grizzly bears. Coming up, we'll tell you why scientists are now baiting the giant creatures roaming Yellowstone National Park as they work to save the endangered species. Stay with us. We are back at 740 with in-depth and in-depth look at a new effort to protect grizzly bears. Teams of scientists at Yellowstone National Park have now started humanely capturing the wild animals for research purposes, and they're asking the public to do its part to try to help. It's so fascinating. NBC's Kaylee Hardtongue joins us with details. Kaylee, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Call it a bear necessity for an endangered species. In the country's oldest national park, Yes, they are now capturing and monitoring grizzly bears as part of this ongoing effort to protect them. Wildlife experts say this is critical for the health of the entire ecosystem. This morning in Yellowstone National Park, biologists are baiting grizzly bears in the name of science. The U.S. Geological Survey and the National Park Service are running the two-month survey to capture and monitor the large creatures under the Endangered Species Act. There's some data that scientists can only get when they get up close and personal with a grizzly bear. Grizzly bears became protected as a threatened species in 1975, when they were almost wiped out. As of 2021, it's estimated about a thousand remain in Greater Yellowstone. Wildlife experts say this monitoring is critical to the species' ongoing recovery. If we find grizzly bears that aren't doing so well, that means that probably several things in the ecosystem are really off balance and the ecosystem needs some improvement. On the flip side, finding healthy bears, especially young bears, mothers of um, breeding age, that kind of thing, suggests that the population is doing great. And so all this information, whether it's good or bad, can help biologists give recommendations for conservation. Large cage-like traps will be set with natural food sources like deer and elk to lure the bears inside. Then biologists will collect various data points like age, gender, and DNA to gauge the overall health of the grizzly bear population. Yellowstone will shut down areas of the park where field captures are underway, with bright warning signs alerting the public to stay away for their safety and the safety of the bears. Humans have long had a fascination and sometimes healthy fear of grizzly bears. Last month on a hiking trail just west of Yellowstone, 48-year-old Amy Adamson was killed by a grizzly bear. Experts believe she was attacked after crossing paths with a mother and her cubs. And just weeks ago, this video of a crowd of tourists in Yellowstone surrounding a group of bears to take photos, raising concern. Experts say tragic incidents and close calls like these are just a reminder to stay at least 100 yards away from wild animals. Yellowstone is the oldest national park in the U.S. Nearly a million people visited in July alone. Some credit the increased popularity and visibility of the park to the hit TV show Yellowstone. The national park and its wildlife are heavily featured. The best way to take care of the environment is to respect the environment, and that means all creatures that live within it. No matter what the wild animal is, give it the space it needs, and that is a really good part of being a good environmentalist, is respecting wildlife. Man, so Kaylee, how many bears are they actually expected to capture and study? 
Yeah, so it's actually hard to say. They're hoping to study as many bears as they can in this two-month period. Experts say, though, they could gather quite a bit of helpful data from even just one bear. Any data is better than no data Mm. at all. And trends they see in just a few bears after getting so up close and personal with them can lead to scientific conclusions about the larger population that could help with conservation efforts and policy decisions, guys. So incredible to see. Kaylee, thank you. It is. All right. Time for another check of the weather. Busy morning for you, Al. Oh, that's for sure. And you We've been talking about storm surge. Storm surge, we're talking, this could be historic. Eight to 12 feet, especially from Steinhatchee down to Cedar Key. Uh, two to five feet as you get into further parts of southern, Cali- uh, southern Florida, I should say. And as the system exits, we've got a problem for Charleston, Savannah as well. Storm surge is the deadliest threat from a hurricane. So water depth of three feet, initial water rush can rise suddenly. It's considered life-threatening at three feet. Six feet, this crashing waves can cause significant damage. The weight of the water can break through doors and windows nine feet. These higher surges push further inland. Entire neighborhoods can be destroyed. So that storm surge, something really to watch out for. Out west, we've got 34 million people under heat alerts and heat warnings and advisories. Uh, For the next three days, we've got Lake Havasu City, triple digits, same in Las Vegas. Los Angeles will cool down by Thursday, but triple digits in Yuma and Phoenix, Arizona as well. Rest of the country, heavy rain. This is not even including talking about what we've got from Idalia. This is heavy rain due to a frontal system that's going to be pushing to the south. Record highs out west. Smoky conditions in the western plains and some showers around the central Great Lakes. And that's your latest weather. All right. Thank you, Al. Still ahead, we are getting you ready for fall with a special edition of Steals and Deals. Stylish staples up to 85% off. It's a good one. I like the sound of that, right? But first on the boost, what had this woman going wild even before a special gender <laughs> reveal. That's right after this. <laughs> About that time, welcome back. Time for your morning boost. Okay, this is a good one. So this morning, a gender reveal like you've never seen before. It was one surprise after another. So watch what happens just as the happy couple was about to pop the balloon to see if they were having a girl or a boy. She says the best day of her whole life. So yes, two balloons means they're having twins, right? So grandma there saying it was the best day of her whole life. But wait, the surprises didn't end there. Nope. The couple had another big announcement to make. Take a look. Let's do this, baby! Hold on, where's Allie? Where's Allie? Where's Allie? Where's Allie? Ah! This cannot be true! No way! Uh, yep, triplets. Wow. Their family and friends couldn't believe the big news. As for the gender reveal itself, they popped the balloons. Look at this. Nothing but blue confetti. That means three boys coming soon. Congratulations to Jordan and Rachel. Grandmother there. She stayed conscious. All right. I would have passed out. Wow. (laughs) Can someone check on Grandma and just uh, let us know what she's doing this morning? Now it's time for a diaper shower if anybody's listening. Uh, Exactly. Three boys. That house is about to get interesting. Congratulations to them. Don't go anywhere if your grocery, your weekly grocery bill is cutting into your family budget. Is it more affordable to go with ham and cheese 
or with a BLT? We'll have the answer to that and some other money-saving supermarket swaps. I vote BLT. Uh, plus, why would Dolly Parton turn down tea with Princess Kate? Not joking. We will let the country icon explain coming up on Pop Start. Pop Start. 